Hey everyone, Wayne here. Just really quick, wanted to let everybody know that Stephen Bassett was having some technical issues and didn't join the podcast until about 42 minutes in. So if you want to go ahead and fast forward to 42 minutes to hear that conversation, please feel free to go ahead. Otherwise, you're going to hear Michelle and I just having about a 40-minute conversation with our chat room talking about all kinds of various things. And we'll see you next Saturday at 2 p.m. for episode 53 with Colin Sanders and Black Triangles over the UK. Is the paradigm really about to shift with special guest Stephen Bassett? Episode 52 of the live edition of the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Welcome to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast, coming to you from the glacial dumping grounds known as the Michigan Basin. I'm Michelle. And I am Wayne. And we are a Michigan-based husband and wife educator and podcasting duo that after having a UFO sighting in March of 2018, have started to examine UFOs and other paranormal topics within Michigan and beyond. Topics include UFOs, the paranormal, conspiracy theories, ghosts, alternative history and archaeology, cryptids, and all things strange and paranormal. So sit back, grab a drink, and come along with us on this journey down the paranormal rabbit hole. Hey, all right, out there in YouTube land, how is it going? Uh, so welcome everybody to another live edition of the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. It is the 15th of April, 2023. Hey, it's tax time. And <laughs> at the time of this recording, we are live on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. So after the live show, we'll be releasing this all on all the major podcasting platforms shortly afterwards. Uh, we are going to start things off by saying hi to the chat room tonight. And those who will be watching this later. So, hey, everyone watching this later, but people in chat room right now, we've got Straw Dog. We got Mike J. We got Lisa Bowden. How's it going, Lisa? Amuamua is here. Amuamua is here. Is that Avi Loeb's people? <laughs> so, Lisa, you may not want to put us on the big screen just yeah. yet. We're still waiting for our guest. Yeah. I'm the, so, I'm the disembodied voice today. Absolutely. She's <laughs> hiding in the background. So uh, we see everybody out there. If we didn't say hi, or, you know, right away, you know, doesn't mean we don't love you or anything like that. Just means we're going to start carrying on with the show. So as always, this live podcast happens because of the viewers and listeners of the show and your amazing support. If you want to help support the podcast, links are below in the show description with our PayPal, Patreon, and our link tree that will take you to other ways to support the podcast, like our merchandise store, where you can get cool shirts like this and various styles, get hoodies coffee cups, all that good stuff. So whatever you want to do there. So welcome everybody. Um, but one of the best ways you can support the show is to like, share, and subscribe. And subscribing's free, so why not? Just hit that little subscribe button and then click on that little uh, bell so that you know when we are about to go live. 
The more subscribers and support we have, the more incredible content we can bring to you. So this show is 100% funded by ourselves and your donations. So thank you everyone for helping us out. We truly appreciate it. So who else do we got? Oh, we see Smoochie Smoochie has shown up. Hey, Smoochie Smoochie, thanks for joining us. I feel like I'm going to be watching the Clerks movie. <laughs> Smoochie Boochies. Smoochie Boochies. Yes. <laughs> So quickly, speaking of support, we need to give a couple of shout outs tonight to Hava H for her continued support and our Patreon members, Taben R and Cheryl G. Thank you for your continued support. So on this episode, we are to have Stephen Bassett joining us shortly. So uh, we haven't seen him show up in the background yet. So with that being said, let's talk to everybody in chat. Diane Boss is here now. How's it going? So what's going on out there in chat? We're going to hopefully Steven shows up and uh, we can get into some pretty interesting conversations here. So how is everyone doing? It's four o'clock on a Saturday. Most people are probably starting to think about dinner plans. Yep. I know I'm thinking about dinner plans. <clears throat> I'm excited that we still have a Logan Steakhouse in Michigan. All the other ones locally had closed up. There's still one. Yeah. There is one left. Yep. So we're just waiting on Steven to show up. I did receive a confirmation email earlier. Um, this was being uh, arranged by the people in contact in the desert and that he was uh, confirmed to come on. So... Once he shows up, I will read his bio and we'll go from there. Ah, so see, somebody's got it right. They're going to be grilling in a couple hours. Yep. Well done. Mike's well going to be on the grill. So, yeah. So, Stephen Bassett, um, interesting fellow, and what he has been doing for disclosure which I really want to get into talking with him about once he shows. Um, yeah, man. Speaking, you know what? I got something we can do here. Let's uh, listen to our good friend over there. And uh, uh, what's his show's name? George Nori. Coast to Coast AM. How could I forget? Let's check this out. The ninth annual Contact in the Desert Conference happens the weekend of June 2nd at the beautiful Renaissance Resort near Palm Springs, California. Join me, George Norrie, to discover what's next from speakers such as Graham Hancock, Richard Dolan, Nick Pope, Stephen Bassett, and over 50 other top researchers. Come make contact with new friends and discover the latest fascinating information from the fields of UFO studies, artificial intelligence, psychic phenomenon, and more. Reserve your seat now at contactinthedesert.com. Yes, so Contact in the Desert, June 2nd through the 4th. That looks really cool. And uh, very, very uh, happy that we're going to have one of the speakers on here. Maybe. Hopefully. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> if he shows. Should, maybe maybe he be. was uh, checking out the show and, you know, wanted to see what he was getting himself into and said, like, I'm oh, not hell going no. on that show with I'm that not. crazy bald guy. Yeah, forget <laughs> it. I'm not doing it. Nope. So, 
Oh, just rained its butt off here in South Louisiana. Doesn't it always rain in Louisiana? Yeah. Though? Right off the Gulf there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very humid down there. My Mike J said, "Let's will him in." <laughs> yeah, everybody, let's let's do a, a CE five event where we're like Stephen Bassett. Stephen Bassett, please show up. Please stand up. It's an Eminem song. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, like that awkward silence when you it ask, is. when it you is. ask the kids a question in class and they call it wait time. It's a it's a strategy. <laughs> yes. And all of them just look at you like just just give us the answer. <laughs> oh, Forks, Washington, right, Diane. Washington State is nothing but rain. Yeah. Rodrigo, welcome from hey. Portugal. What's going on, Rodrigo? We're still waiting for Stephen to show up. I don't know if there was some kind of a miscommunication in the time. Uh, you know, 4 p.m. Eastern, dealing with uh, daylight savings not too long ago. So, you know. Diane said that it's always raining in Forks, Washington. Forks, Washington, yep. isn't that like the setting of twilight? Oh, geez. Come on, better, Diane, help me out on that one. I'm pretty sure it's, it's Forks, Washington. Better not be. <laughs> I think it is. I think Mom Diane lives, lives with sparkly vampires around her. Sunshine in New Hampshire today, rain tomorrow. Same thing with Michigan. See, I was right. <laughs> it's been a while since I've read the books or watched the movies. So it is. It's Forks. Sparkly vampires. She's got sparkly vampires and she's got like dire wolves. Oh, I'll tell you what though. Diane sent us some awesome videos and uh, of different little documentaries and stuff. And one of them I've been watching is about the giants. Yeah. And it is uh, very, very interesting. Yeah. Diane, I realized that that was one that Wayne didn't share with me yet. <laughs> we were talking about it last time. Yeah, so I'll, I'll get it over to you. I like to watch them first. Well, I was watching it off of the email, but I want to kind of have it sent to my my own my own stuff. Yep. Let's see. Smoochie Smoochie says squat. Oh, Sasquatch and UFOs go together. Yeah, you know, um, that's one of the things that when we talked to um, who was it? We were just recently talking to. It was um, oh my god. Uh, Preston Dennett and he said usually like the paranormal and ghost go together one shows up the other one happens kind of a thing with uh, uh, UFOs so you could be very sensitive to like ghosts and spirits and things like that and then the next thing you know you'll start also noticing um UFOs or the other way around you see a UFO and then you'll start seeing cryptid or something else so it's almost like something happens in the in your uh like your senses get tuned up a little bit so that you're more open for those things um, when you have some type of a contact with one or the other so yeah they definitely seem like they are related uh, I, you know who else was saying that too was um, our state director here from MUFON who was on um, um, Konkoleski. He was on 
the Michigan, not Michigan, the Michigan sightings of 1994 on Unsolved Mysteries. And he was saying that as well. They would go out on these investigations and they would say, oh, by the way, not only did we see a UFO, but we think we saw like a huge hairy Bigfoot running through the woods as well. Well, you know, that's why they market those paranormal um, sweatshirts, like the one that I have that has like oh, what, yeah. ghosts on it, then it has a UFO on it, then it's got Bigfoot being beamed up in the light. So that's true. They just, they merge all of them together. Yeah. Yep. The UFO connection missing 411. Oh yeah. There is all that too. David Pilates, 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 I think it is something like that. Yeah. Oh, there it is in chat. Smoochie Smoochie's got it. Yeah. Unsolved Mysteries is awesome. It was incredible to see them do such a great. Same Mike. Like a great uh, show on the 1994 UFO flap in Western Michigan. What they failed to recognize what was going on on the east side of Michigan with the giant triangles being spotted by people. 94 so, was just a hot mess in Michigan. 94 was a big deal here in Michigan. So, yeah. Yeah. Unsolved Mysteries is really cool. Well, That's we can talk sure. about what's coming up next weekend since. Oh, my God. Next weekend. Oh, man. Straight from across the pond. From across the pond. That's right. We're going to have Colin Saunders on. And he is the author of the book. And let me get the title right here. I have it sitting right here. As it opens up. Triangular UFOs of the United Kingdom. Man. going to be talking like family to him. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be considering what we saw yeah and i've already been talking to him uh quite a bit about kind of behind the scenes about his ideas about the propulsion and wow uh we started comparing notes and it was uh creepy it was creepy we were coming to the same conclusions he's a former engineer mechanical engineer i believe and uh man we were talking about what was making these things go. It was really, really cool. Oh, so, yeah. Mike, they'll always shift our attention to something else. They'll mention it and then, you know, instantly change to yeah. something on that's, you know, something else that's going on around the world. So divert our, our attention. Well, it was just like the uh, shooting down the China balloons slash UAPs or whatever. And what was really going on is we were having a total collapse of our railway system here. And I don't think that was uh, by accident either. <laughs> not, so, a, not a quinky dink. No. Uh, let's see here. Oh, Zen address. Zen Ad Astra, Astra is here. So we know who that is. That's Mr. X. What's going on, Mr. X? You can catch his episode of our podcast if you look through and find the Mysterious Mr. X episode. That was a really cool episode. So welcome, man. Good seeing you. Like Valiant Thor. Yes. <laughs> Love me some Norse mythology. Yeah. Yeah. All right. My, kids are, my kids are knee deep in Star Norse Wars. mythology right now. Is that supposed to be Star Ports? Ever hear of Star Ports? Smoochy, smoochy, is that spelled correctly? 
Yeah, just like the triangle at the top of the pyramid on our money. Yeah. Yeah, they all see nine, of course, <laughs> right? Here's hmm. the awkward silence. I know. I know well, guys, I know. we may be wrapping up a little bit early tonight. Yeah. That way Mike can get to the grill to make those burgers and dogs. No coincidence. Quin no, no quinky dinks. That's right. That's right. So who knows, man, he might be having weather issues or something where he's at. Could be a time issue. Don't know. Yeah, he'll start emailing in like an hour or two. Where are you guys at? <laughs> yeah. Rodrigo says, hello to the lady in the room with you, Wayne. That would be my wife. I don't know her name. That's Michelle. <laughs> I but, was, uh, I was she messing sounds with... very nice, and I forgot to say hello at the start of the <laughs> Thank show. Thank you, Rodrigo. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Yeah, it was just one of those days. Starfish. I was I was at the Tigers game last night. We we actually won. Yeah, yeah, won a home game. <clears throat> yeah. So it was a very late night. My uh, the marching band at my daughter's high school they performed last night. So, um, yeah, very cool. Lots of walking, and I'm just super tired today. Well, you know, um, one thing we can talk about real quick is this morning at 3.30 a.m., Jared and the crew from Not Aliens have left for the Belize expedition. So they are on their way down to Belize to investigate two new hidden pyramids on a private piece of private property down there in the jungle weren't they so, flying to texas and then from texas down i think they pick up their flight yeah yeah so that's uh that's gonna be awesome and we hope to be getting some feed you know a live feed from them that we will be putting out on our channel with information i know um michael from dark arrow dark hour paranormal will be doing the same as long along with jared so yeah it all depends on like how much um internet they have down there so we'll see they're literally going to be in the jungle it's not like a tour where people are going to hang out we, we um, might not hear much of anything for a couple weeks yeah wayne will yep. probably get a couple phone calls yeah in the in the saw grass <laughs> that's down there is is It'll will rip you apart at least they have the same time zone because i could see right now jared calling at 2 a.m <laughs> excited that he found something <laughs> yeah no kidding well at least they're the same time zone yeah so let's see diane says wayne i sent you lily in messenger about bigfoot a big i oh yes yes i did get that too diana but or diane i want to uh get through i have a student named diana so every time i go and say diane you know it's hard to stop but um yeah i do i want to get through the giants and, and what was really interesting about the giants is the whole um native american history about the the red-haired giants which is very very <laughs> interesting because there have been skeletons found in peru that have the elongated skulls but are redheaded and uh just awesome stuff 
See, and those were the same giants that that lady that we ran into was talking about in Northern California. Yeah, that they were the... finding up um, in like the the caves, tree lines, the yep. Oh, Cascade Mountains. Yeah, I had to remember my geography for a second. I know, right? I love Let's the see. Cascade Mountains, though they are so gorgeous. Oh, you know what? We can give a shout out right now to our friends over in Pennsylvania who are putting on this little con and uh this conference they they need more people to to want to show up and buy some tickets So this looks like it's going to be a very interesting um, conference that's going on. Let me put it up here on screen. I was going to say if we live just a little closer. Yeah. Let's take a look at this. So this is in Philadelphia. It's the Philadelphia UFO Exposure Con. Saturday, May 20th. Um, 12 to 10 p.m. So just one day. Um, there's your address, Academy Road, 9130 Academy Road, Philadelphia, PA, 19114. So they have some very interesting people that are going to be there. So they, down in the bottom left, they have Tom Carey, then Joseph Foster, Bob Spearing, Frank Chili, and then one of my favorites, I remember seeing this guy all over the History Channel, Bill Burns, UFO Hunters. That's awesome. And then they got Major George Phil Filler. I think that's how you say it, Filler or Filer. And then last but not least, Eric Mintel. And uh, yeah, so they're going to have some pretty good people on there. Hey, Smoochie is asking if we've noticed the uncanny rise in redheads. I honestly can <laughs> say that I haven't. I've got one redhead student and she makes mermaid noises. So I, I've got myself a siren in the class. <laughs> what is a mermaid noise? Has anybody oh, ever heard it's of mermaid a, noise? It's this really weird high-pitched sound that she makes. There's a show that we should do sometime. I would love to look into mermaids and sirens. Yeah. There we go. We need to find somebody that knows about mermaids and expert in science. Some, yeah, well, that's one of your, you know, crypto people. Bill Burns wrote "The Day After Roswell" with Corso. No way! I've got that book. I've never noticed that. Hold did on you, a minute. Did you forget to read the cover? <laughs> Or it's is it audio? A, it's, it's audio. So I don't really even, I look for titles of books. I don't even look at <laughs> who wrote it. Yeah. Well, I'm like, trying like to take in, you know, I'm trying to take in so much information um, about this topic since, you know, 2018, the day after Roswell. Yep. He sure did. Colonel Philip J. Corso retired with William J. Burns. Yes, sir. Yeah. Has, has anybody cool. in chat ever like went on a trip to Roswell, New Mexico? Because we're we're talking about it possibly even around Christmas time. It's like nothing out there. 
it's just Roswell, the alien in. I had a friend of mine that actually Richard's lived there, cool. but then she ended up moving to Florida. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Smoochie said there's four redheads. You know, you, you there better. Are four he- Wait a minute. Finish the sentence, though. There are four redheads just on my short block. <laughs> Uh, hold on a minute. That that's worth a, a good uh hold on. <laughs> Let's give a hand to those redheads. Yeah, and then we end up with something like this. Yeah, as long as they they don't have like black eyes. If they have blackened oh, eyes, man. stay away. Abort mission, Smoochie. Is that the next paranormal topic? <laughs> black eyed Redheaded children. No. <laughs> Rodrigo's never been to the states. I, uh, you know, each state ha- probably has their own beautiful areas. Like, you know, Michigan, ours is up north. So once you start getting up around the lakes, on the water, um, Upper Peninsula, mm-hmm. uh, Copper Harbor at the very, very top of the Upper Peninsula is gorgeous in the fall. Um, western side of the state. You've got Lake Michigan again, beautiful beaches. Uh, but to for me, the states I love out west. I love the desert. I love the mountains, the cacti, and then you get into you know California, Nevada, and you can get some beautiful pine trees a- around water. Oh, that's right. I'm talking about Lake Tahoe. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> that's where my brain just went. Oh, Smoochie says. That her and her daughter have stayed at the Little Alien Inn. Oh, okay. Very cool. So that is what we are actually looking into. It'd be fun to go out there and do a live show. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Rodrigo's like, the, this now where, he's hyped. I mean, there's some flat states. I don't want to cut out our folks in like Iowa and stuff like that. Yeah. But I, I know that some of those states, it's like, meh. <laughs> They're they're just flatlands. Rows of corn. Yeah. Lots of growing. That's the breadbasket of the U.S. Yeah. It's like, look for the areas that have mountain ranges. Even down in like the Carolina. There's lots of states in in the U.S. Yeah. I don't know. There's, There's a lot of pretty places here. You don't have to go far. Uh, Southern, let's see, Mike J says, I live in Southern New Hampshire, although there's some nice areas here, but the real beauty is in Northern New Hampshire. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Smoochie too. (laughs) I'm reading that, uh, the, the rise in autistic kids, there has been a huge rise in autism over my last 23 years in education. Yep. So uh, I have definitely noticed that, you know, there was a, a time that they said that, uh, what was it, 70% of special ed students were male, 30% female. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't heard the statistics lately, but I know that I have seen an increase in autism. So, you know, you have to wonder sometimes if it's linked to um shots that are required when they are young there's always that conspiracy different medications there's that conspiracy if they you know took it some over-the-counter drug 
So I know my Facebook's always filled with it. Yeah. Oh, Zen asks, Wayne, have you managed to read Colin's book? I'm on it. I'm, I'm making my way through it. I think I'm about a quarter of the way through it right now. So, yeah. I've been sneaking into so. Gemma Jade's book on the 101 terrifying stories. <laughs> Michelle's still on that. Yeah. I'm not giving Wayne the book back yet. So, uh, yeah, it's very interesting about the rise in, in uh, autism and kids being placed on the spectrum. And, you know, from my mindset, I'm wondering if they're just making, what do I want to say, like the the test more sensitive to be able to detect things that you know, so more people fall on that, you know, ADHD covers so much and all kinds of things. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to say, are they just being able to group more people now because they're, they have expanded the criteria of being able to be on the spectrum and to have autism and stuff. Well, just look at evolution and Medicaid, you know, in medicine period and technology, you know, in the eighties when we were in school, like manic depressive now is, you know, different forms of bipolar disorder. Right. So yeah. mm -hmm. that's what 30 years later. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so who knows what things will be called in well, another 10 like, years or like, so. Like, sexual preferences and things like that used to be considered a mental illness. And now it's, you know, it's no longer considered that, but yeah, there's, there's all kinds of rabbit holes that, you know, revolve around um, like yeah. injuries from vaccinations, you know, even the most recent one with the whole COVID thing, it's, it's uh, you know, for some people, I'm sure there's injuries caused by, vaccines oh I mean, yeah mike you get so. into those that are considered the high functional or savants mm -hmm. um my my nephew is autistic and i remember him as a teenager he would listen to a song once and be able to play it mm -hmm. on three different musical instruments yeah right after so um just crazy so, and I, I still don't think that he's ever been like officially diagnosed. Mm -mm. I just know what I see and what I've experienced over the years in education. Yeah. Yep. There are those people that are very savant like, so very. Well, in Barry's. Got, wait, 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 wait. You know what? You brought that up about the music what? and stuff. What? Who was the young blind piano player and singer on America's Got Talent that won Cody. Yeah, Cody. Now, how in the world can somebody that's blind and has so many disabilities play and sing the way that he can? It's it's amazing. I mean, it, it just shows you like what our brains are capable of. Um yeah, it's man yeah, Barry, thing, so many things have evolved. Um, <laughs> I, my, my best friend today, I could hear her grandson. I was on the phone with her and that kid was just yelling. And the way he was talking to her, she told him 
that if she would have talked to her mother or grand, uh, grandmother the way that he was doing it, she would have been wearing her teeth on her ass. <laughs> Those were her exact words. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, touche. Well, she had a point there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, different times. We're making the kids very soft and spoiled. So, and one thing in, in the psychology world too, um, I'm just going to pick on some people here for a minute, but a lot of the times there are behavioral issues that get addressed as some type of a chemical imbalance, all based upon who you go to see. So, you know, if you got psychiatrists that you know, every problem is a nail and their pills are the hammer. That's what they're going to start using. You know, that's what they're going to use. And uh, you just got to be really careful. And I know when I was in college and my, my dual major was psychology. In every class I was in, in psychology classes, everyone, all of the young kids, because I was much older than them. All of the kids ended up with something that they read about, you know, it's like, oh, maybe that's what's wrong with me. Maybe I'm bipolar. Oh, yeah, that would explain, you know, and, and it's not. It's that placebo effect of, of, you know, you think you have something, therefore you do. And so you got to. I don't know, you know, Smooshy, the fact that he wore a kilt to school, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> Somebody wore a kilt. Yeah, his step-grandson, who's hey. autistic, 14 years old. I know you put ODD. Um, I, I know you meant OCD. Um, but wore a kilt to school because he was obsessed with it. So well, he could mean ODD if it's oppositional defiant disorder. I mean, I guess if he was throwing a fit and, yeah. you know, about not being able to wear the kilt. But hey, yeah, we, we got an adult friend that wears a kilt. So, you know, is very low functioning. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just had a talk with about meningitis with two of my female students because these kids are still going around going, let me fountain, you know, your, your drink or whatever. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I had to like, look over and tell both of them. I'm like, you do realize that you can like pass things to one another, including meningitis, right? Yeah. And they both hey. looked at me and here come the Chromebooks and they're looking up meningitis and they both look uh, at me and we're petrified. Next thing you know, they say they have it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the it's problem. Like we we but, just WebMD'd ourselves. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a new term. That's what we should start using. We could use it as a verb. Stop WebMDing yourself. Yeah. Hey, Richie. Right. Yeah. Richie from Goofon is here uh, saying, sorry. Did he miss Bassett? No, Bassett hasn't shown up, man. So I don't know if there was a, a now we've time been just hanging out for the last forty or, minutes. And... What, ah, smoochy, smoochy. Oh, odd. I Not suck. ODD. <laughs> That's how much psychology stuff I've had. I was gonna say I've got like just way too many duck. of those terms swimming around in my head. Yeah. Yeah. Richie had meningitis when he was twenty-one. Worst headache. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so uh, he did that to me 10 years ago, so I never asked him again. Oh, Mr. Bassett, huh? Well, that sucks. This was actually arranged by contact in the desert, so I hope he, uh, you know, does show up here before we decide to end this because 
I mean, worst case scenario, I'm going to end the show at five because Richie's show is going to come on at five over at Goofon. So, you know, I don't want people to worry about watching both shows at the same time. Now, so. I think we'll, you know, probably just wrap it up for this Saturday, folks, and yeah. hope to see you next. Give them like 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. next Saturday. We'll yeah, next Saturday again, man. That's, let me, let me find my little screenshots here. Because this, man, and I hope we can have a good connection this time with our, our friends across the pond. Mike, do you realize how important that latte is to your daughter? <laughs> did you? So did you Venmo her the money? She's right. at Starbucks. Ugh. Not a Starbucks fan. Oh, they're lot. Well, Starbucks or Big B. I like Big B, too. All right, here we go. Right there. Next week, Colin Sanders. Triangular UFOs of the UK. It will be live. We will be uh, early show. So it'll be an early show next week at 2 p.m. Because that's 7 p.m. UK time. So we don't want them to be half dead to the world when we're trying to talk to them and ask them questions about his experience and the triangular ufos of the united kingdom now i'm gonna say i'm gonna go on a limb here and bless johanna james hart all right she told us that ufos were not a big thing in the uk <laughs> i uh i disagree i think they are a big thing in the uk I think maybe she just hasn't had the exposure to them just yet. So, all right, guys, you know what, what we're going to do? I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to play our three-minute break timer, do a, a quick live commercial here for our local restaurant and for Contact in the Desert and see if Steven shows up. And if he doesn't, we'll jump back in and we will wrap up the show. So sorry about that, everybody. I really, really was looking forward to talking to Mr. Bassett, but, um, you know, things happen. So we'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Traveling near New Boston, Michigan? Hungry? Well then, you need to check out New Boston Coney and Grill tucked away at 37005 Huron River Drive. With daily specials, homemade soups and desserts, and a staff that makes you feel like family, you will not be disappointed. Give them a try for dine-in or carry-out at 734-606-5313. You can find their page, including their menu, on Facebook. Bon Appetit! The ninth annual Contact in the Desert Conference happens the weekend of June 2nd at the beautiful Renaissance Resort near Palm Springs, California. 
Join me, George Norrie, to discover what's next from speakers such as Graham Hancock, Richard Dolan, Nick Pope, Stephen Bassett, and over 50 other top researchers. Come make contact with new friends and discover the latest fascinating information from the fields of UFO studies, artificial intelligence, psychic phenomenon, and more. Reserve your seat now at contactinthedesert.com. Three minutes left, everybody. Just three minutes. left everybody get ready two minutes Right, everybody we're back hey 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 all right so some interesting news so received an email from the main communications person from and it's this just literally came through from maria over at contact in the desert and he said or she says that steven was having problems with his internet today 
Is it possible to reschedule the interview? They apologize for any inconvenience. So I will work out rescheduling this and getting him on here so that we can all talk to him. And uh, Richie, I really appreciate it, man. I know you got to do your show and things like that. And I did not expect you to change your time. I mean, people can always rewatch these things if they miss anyways. So, um, man, not a, not a big deal at all. But I do want to say, everybody, Richie took me by surprise last night. I'm sitting here working out, acting all crazy, throwing myself. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hey, he has made it. I think his internet is working. All right, everybody. So let's go ahead and um, we're going to go ahead and talk to Stephen Bassett here in just one minute. Let me fill you in a little bit on Stephen Bassett. Michelle, you ready? Uh, I'm ready. All right. Sounds good. So, all right, everybody. So Stephen Bassett is a political activist, disclosure advocate, and the executive director of Paradigm Research Group, or PRG, which he founded in 1996 to end an government-imposed embargo on the truth behind extraterrestrial-related phenomenon. He has spoken to audiences around the world about the implications of disclosure, the formal confirmation by heads of state, of an extraterrestrial presence engaging the human race. He has lectured around the world on the political implications of UAPET phenomenon and given over, man, 1,200 radio and television interviews, 1,201 now. Uh, PRG's advocacy work has been extensively covered by national and international media, including being on being featured on CNN, Fox News, SMNBC, and in the Washington Post and New York Times. In 2013, PRG organized, and this this blew my mind when I saw this, I remember this, organized and conducted a citizen hearing on disclosure at the National Press Club in Washington. That was a big deal. So we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. In November of 2014, PRG launched a two-year political initiative out of Washington, D.C. that injected the ET issue into the 2016 presidential campaign. Bassett has appeared in many documentary films, of course, because he knows a lot. He's been doing this for a while. And his lectures and interviews are well represented on YouTube. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Putting everything together, put your hands together, and let's welcome to the stream, Mr. Stephen Bassett. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, sorry for the uh, the problem. I uh, my uh, internet was is was down. Uh, it's been down for all morning. Spectrum, just one of those things, and so yeah. I had to go to a hot, hot spot, But I had not been sent the Streamyard link. It wasn't there. really. I sent uh, it to Maria twice. So. But I finally did a quick email exchange and got it. So late. Okay. But well, thank you for joining us. Yeah, sure. So we we really appreciate it. So um, I don't know. Are are you going to be short on time? No, 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 no. I okay. I, uh, all the time you need. All right. Perfect. So Michelle's going to be the disembodied voice in the background here, running the chat room. So everybody. Um, remember, if you want to possibly, I'm not going to guarantee, we love you, but I'm not going to guarantee that we're going to be able to 
uh, get your question to Stephen. I have a lot of questions I want to, you know, ask them. And so uh, we will try to get them up there and uh, see if he can answer our questions. So let's go ahead and get started. So Stephen, you have been everywhere talking about UAPs and it was only a matter of time before you're going to end up on a Michigan UFO podcast at some point. So here you are. Hopefully uh, we do you proud here. Um, with your bio, though, I couldn't find the reason why you started getting into UAPs that led to you starting PRG. Um, so in like in the first place, so what drew you to this topic to begin with? It's the most fascinating issue in the world uh, that I'm aware of, for one thing. Uh, I always was intrigued by it when I was a kid. I'd read things all the time in the paper here and there. There was always coverage. It's always been covered going all the way back to the 40s. But it was just, well, I guess uh, looking forward to learning more about that. Uh, but so uh, since uh, that the, the government was going to reveal uh, anything in detail about it, uh, I read a lot of science fiction. So I got into the whole science fiction ET thing that way, as many did. Read some of the classic writers like, like Heinlein and so forth. And um, not surprisingly, was more interested in math and science in school than the other stuff. And so uh, that just was my early life. Uh, I went to college, finished college, went off and did various things. But I always noted anything that turned up on it. Did not get involved. I didn't join any, anything. I didn't do any research. I just followed it in that sense, right? Uh, I don't know when I first read my first actual book on this subject, but it was late. Probably, I'm going to guess maybe mid 80s, late 80s. Um, I think I read something by uh, Strieber. Um, uh, and that was pretty much it. It was just there. Then in 1995, uh, I reached a point in life where I needed to make a decision about what I wanted to do. Uh, and, uh, for, and, and I had just recently read at this time, I was at a point where I had to make that decision, one of those things, midlife crisis. I had read John Mack's book, Abduction, and this was the game changer for me. Uh, this Harvard-trained, esteemed person with a Pulitzer Prize, fantastic career, brilliant man, was risking his reputation by studying the contact issue uh, in a serious way. He set up an organization called PEER, Program for Extraordinary Experience Research. I read the book and I'm thinking, this is happening. This is the real deal. Uh, wow, would be interesting to get involved in that, but how? Uh, I learned a few things in my life by then. And one of them, which I wish I had learned when I was young, but didn't, uh, is that if there's something you're interested in, you want to get involved, just volunteer. Don't don't go hunting through the, the, the classified ads looking for a paid gig, right? I mean, you can always apply. You can always send in a resume and say, I'd love to work for you. But if you really want to, want to get to it, you just volunteer. And I did. And I went out there for four months. And that was uh, January to uh, June of, uh, or roughly late January of June of 1996. And it was there while I was just helping out, 
in Cambridge, Massachusetts, surrounded by contactees and staff who were also contactees and just generally all excited about everything, just kind of really uh, feeling like, hey, I'm part of this now. Uh, I knew my time was up, uh, was gonna be up because it was volunteer and that's not forever. Uh, if you fit in, you can remember the staff, but I wasn't a researcher, so I didn't fit. So I'm sitting there wondering what to do next when it hit me, boom, just hit me. What can I say? Just one of those things. Um, and what hit me was this. The problem with this issue wasn't science. It wasn't, there wasn't enough proof. There's plenty of proof, tons of research and accounts and reports going back decades. Not to mention by then, of course, I was fully familiar with the Roswell event, which is one of the most researched events in the, in the history of the issue. So if the problem is not science, what's the problem? It's politics. The reason that the government had not confirmed the ET presence was political, not science. And the politics was, was essentially based on national security. The ET presence was a national security matter, which was made classified and deeply embedded within the national security structures from the beginning. But it was a difficult problem for, for the government, very difficult. It's not like hiding a secret airplane or some research on some weapon or whatever you want to classify, though they classify too much. It was trying to keep secret something that was not a secret. In other words, you're, you're going to have to tell the world going forward that there's nothing to see there when in fact it's flying all over the place all the time. Because the ETs you see were not on board with the government's program. What do you do? Well, they uh, had a lot of money and a lot of sophisticated uh, uh, skills that they have owned during World War II and World War I and so forth on intelligence and propaganda and misdirection and misinformation and all of that. And they applied it all to this issue. And they effectively did what I call a truth embargo. They embargo the issue. In other words, you can't go there. There's no there there. But if you're thinking about going there, it's not there and you can't go there, right? This was the truth embargo. This was the situation that I, that I realized was the case in 1996 while in Cambridge. And at that point I said, well, then it has to have a political solution. That means you have to engage it as an activist. And I'm thinking, well, what would I do? How would I do that? It's not like this was a big activist movement going on. There wasn't. Right. And then the, th then the next thing occurred to me was, wait a minute, I'll bet no one has ever registered as a lobbyist on this issue. No wife, no kids, no dogs, no cats, nothing to lose. Do that, whatever the hell I wanted to do. And I said, I will go to D.C. I will register as the first lobbyist on this issue. Just put it right there in the registration. Extraterrestrial presence, suppress technology, yada, yada, yada. Just stick it in there and file that puppy with the Senate. Knowing full well that the, the Washington Post, certainly, if not the Washington Times, almost certainly, both of the major papers in D.C. at the time, checked every lobbying registration. They, they checked them all. They had somebody, some intern, was that their job was to check every single one. Why? Because there's news there. If Saudi Arabia 
or somebody representing Saudi Arabia signs up as a lobbyist on the oil situation, they want to know that. And so sure enough, when my registration came across the, the, the uh, you know, the, their, their radar and they said, they stopped and what, what? He's registering on what? And they said, well, we got to talk to him. So the Washington Post sent a reporter out, interviewed me for several hours, put a huge piece of uh, piece, article in the front page of the business section, which I still have to this day. And thus was my activist career launched in this issue. That's how I did a little of when I was younger, but I didn't get serious. This time I got serious. That was 26 years ago. I thought at the time the thing would all be solved within five years, six years tops. Uh, I did not, I misunderstood just how deeply entrenched the truth embargo was, and the government was committed to maintaining this lie no matter what happened, right? No matter what events took place. And no matter how hard it got, and it got a lot harder, they were going to stick to this issue until the last dog died. And now we are tw 26 years in, 76 years in since Rockwell. And the truth embargo still stands, but I expect it to end finally this year. Okay, so this year. All right, so I... Do you think, and, and this kind of goes with Rodrigo's question here, he says, where does Steve think we'll get more definitive answers about the phenomenon from the government? So he's got an S there. So I'm imagining he's thinking the governments of the world who are interested in this or from civilian and scientific community. And in my mind, I am a scientist. I'm a science teacher, but I'm also an earth and space science. And my brain is very logical when it comes to this stuff. And if these things are interacting with people so much and, and these stories are getting out there, the anecdotal evidence, you know, even some of the physical evidence that's been reported that we haven't seen, I'm going to go with, we're going to see more from the civilian slash scientific community than we are the governments. And Steve, can you talk to that? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong answer. But we've got some wonderful party gifts for you, right? Okay. <laughs> take I'll take them. <laughs> Definitive answers are going to come from the government. It's that simple. Uh, the civilian sector has done its best to learn what it can. And it has learned many things. But because the government has embargoed this issue, the entire academic community of 5,000 colleges and universities and the several million professors who have served in there over the last 76 years, I use the word millions correctly, has completely laid down on the issue and stayed out of it. Not a single properly accredited course. I think there's a couple that might have gotten a credit or two at a couple of places. David Jacobs had a a course that they allowed him to give until he retired uh, on the subject. And David Jake was, of course, one of the uh, uh, important researchers on contact. That's about it. I think it was a community college course. So we're talking the entire academic community of the most powerful nation in the world with more money and resources than any other academic institutions in the world completely 
passed on this issue because it did not want to go against the government's policy of embargo. All right, so didn't come from there. Then you had some sciences here and there that dabbled in it. It didn't help them, didn't help their careers any, I can tell you that. The odd organization was formed, SCU and a couple of others, and you saw some what we would call some effort to do some research. But think about it. When these, these, these few scientists were trying to get together to show some scientific evidence, the government had already known that there was an extraterrestrial presence since 46. So they're coming together to try to get you some definitive answers on something the government already had the definitive answers 40, 50 years prior. But it's worse than that because the government has taken measurable and, and, uh, and, and effective steps to undermine their efforts, suppress their efforts, coerce their efforts, misinformation, disinformation, coercion, all along. So as the quote, scientists, the few scientists who would step into the issue were not in a fair playing field. If the area of atomic physics or, or quantum physics or any other major area of scientific research had to deal with what the people in this subject had to deal with, we would still be in the 1900s. 1900s, I meant 1800s. 18, yeah. Tech science and technology. And, and governments have done this in the past. They've stepped in and religion has done the same thing and say, look, I don't care what you're seeing or what you're finding or what you think. According to our doctrine, our religion or our government policy, you can't do that. It's not worth it. And if you continue, we're going to kill you. This has happened many times over history. That's what happened on this issue. Is that so, the, the proverbial men in black that pay you a visit kind of a thing? That's just a symbol for a very complex and effective effort along many fronts to ensure this issue is not legitimized. So what does that mean? That's why I call it a truth embargo, and that's why I call the, uh, the process essentially an intellectual ghetto. If you delegitimize the issue and the people in it, then if they find anything, nobody cares. There's no response. So yeah. Now, in other countries and other times, they wouldn't bother with an intellectual ghetto. They would create a real ghetto. And so if they didn't like what you were doing, you were forced to live in, in, behind some brick walls or they would kill you. But we have a constitutional republic that has certain values, which we violate all the time. And nevertheless, we try to adhere to them. And so we can't do that. You can't be killing hundreds and hundreds of scientists and military witnesses and so forth. Now, nah, that's not going to fly. And so you delegitimize it. So that if anybody does say anything, nobody pays attention or they don't say anything at all because who wants to be delegitimized? That's the game that's been going on for 76 years. It is disgusting. It is reprehensible. It was legal. It served national security and it had a reasonable basis from 1946 to perhaps 1991, given all the nuclear weapons that we built with trillions of taxpayer dollars and all the nuclear weapons our enemies built with trillions of their taxpayer dollars. Yeah, I get it. But after 1991, it should have ended and it didn't. And it's now, what, 33 years on. And this embargo still exists. Right? So yeah. we will not get definitive answers on this subject until the president of the United States ends this truth embargo. 
by going in front of the American people and saying, yes, this phenomena is non-human technology built by, piloted by, controlled by non-human sentient beings, probably from another solar system, slight possibility from another dimension, even slighter possibility from out of time, and a really slight possibility they've been living here all along and we just haven't noticed it until we get that confirmation, which is disclosure capital D. We're not going to get any definitive answers. And when we get it, the definitive answers are going to start coming from the government who will willingly, uh, will, who will willingly start providing these because the pressure on them will be absolutely beyond measure. Because once the lid is off, once the door is opened, the entire world and the entire media uh, megaplex is going to be rushing through saying, okay, what have you got? And at that point, lying is not going to cut it. Misinformation is not going to cut it. Bullshit is not going to cut it. The government is going to start revealing it. Then when, when the issue is legitimized, then the, 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 the fine really courageous academics of America will say, oh, oh, let's <laughs> let's talk about that. Let's study that. Let's teach that. God bless them. And then the yeah. corporations will will come forward and start getting information. Patents will be unleashed, unleashed and we'll see some, some development along those lines. But until we get disclosure, all we are is dancing in the dark. Yeah, well said. And Rodrigo here is asking a question and... Man, he's reading my mind. There was a lot to unpack there because I have a ton of questions here. All right. So when my wife and I saw the UFO that triggered us into starting this podcast in 2018, we didn't start this until about 2021 after we amassed a Facebook group of over 6,000 people telling us that they saw triangles and orbs and stuff in it it blew my mind. And I was like, we should probably start talking to people about this. We've met and talked to all kinds of people. And we noticed about last year, you talk about this truth embargo and everything. And it feels like that there are different groups or factions playing games within the government. I don't know if, if it's the, the military industrial complex, if you want to call it that, or, other groups that seem to be fighting because we were talking about how the media not too long ago seemed like they were starting to try to put the genie back in the bottle about the middle of last year in New York times. Here I have their, one of their articles that says many military UFO reports are just foreign spying or airborne trash. And they use that word trash to, start to delegitimize i i believe as you were saying about the the reports and they kind of nitpicked and went through things and kind of left it as like yeah guys it's it's really nothing so with what you just said do you think there's this back and forth going on and certain people in the media and in the government trying to slow down this and getting rid of this embargo and if a president ever did say this do you think they would be around very long let's see uh first of all uh what that article said was some of this stuff could be foreign 
you know, intelligence and, and mm -hmm. airborne trash. It just happens to be true. No big deal. It's true. Right. Is it what the turnaround on this? No. Since 19, since 2017, and the two rather now famous New York Times articles, I have logged on my website nearly 2,000 articles just about the engagement of this issue by the DOD and the Congress and related and related subjects. 2,000 articles. All right. So that one article, no big deal. Now, the, the amount of coverage has varied from time to time, depending upon what was going on and whether there was any news breaking. But I assure you, anytime anything breaks related to UAP, the media is all over it. So the, the, the cattle are out of the barn. The chickens have left the roost. You know, the toothpaste out of the tube, right? <laughs> it, mm -hmm. it's, it's essentially the truth embargo is a dead lie walking. It's going to end soon. Now, are there a lot of entities within government jockeying for position and or are doing their thing or what have you? Yeah, there's always that. It's always been that. Uh, there, this is a massive undertaking ending this truth embargo. It involves all the military services, all the intelligence services, the House, the Senate, the White House, and the Department of Defense, right? And so, yeah. It's a really complicated process pulling this off, which is true of everything, anything, really, when you're talking about government and a major issue. So people are, are, are getting caught up in the details of, oh, what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? What's important is, is there a process moving forward that's going somewhere? Yes, there is. It's the disclosure process. And in this case, I mean the political process, meaning capital D disclosure. The process leading to the confirmation event. There has always been a small D disclosure process going, always going all the way back to 1946, still going on to this day and going forward, meaning a process of revealing, a process of things coming out, being known. That has always been going on, except that the government was trying to impede that for many decades. Now it's getting out of the way. And to some degree, government entities are getting involved in the revealing process, small D disclosure. And that will continue. But the disclosure process I'm referring to is the confirmation event process, the process leading to the confirmation statement from the president. That is ongoing. And that is irreversible. And there's nothing anybody in the government can do about it now. It's too late. Now, they, and they know this and they understand this. And, the, and, and what I've been trying to tell in, in, in hundreds of podcasts since 2017, God knows how many, maybe, not podcasts, but interviews of any kind, is, is, is to get across a very fundamental point that will help your viewers maybe feel a little less confused by this. All right. And so I'm going to state it for the thousandth time. And I don't mind. Right. I don't mind. Hey, it's OK. No problem. Happy to do it. What you are seeing is not the United States government recently learning that, oh my God, there's something up there which we don't understand and we should probably take a look at it. And it has national security implications. Maybe we should have a hearing about it. We should maybe set up uh, an entity within the Department of Defense, which is going to uh, examine this in greater detail, whatever. It is not about that at all. 
The government has known there is non-human sentient technology in our airspace, in our water, and on the ground when it wants to be since no later than 1946, period. Does that mean everybody in the government is known? No. Those that need to know, no. Those that have the clearance, no. Those who have figured it out on their own within government, no. Those that have been tipped up at cocktail parties after somebody with a top secret clearance had too many gin and tonics and just sort of told them, hey, guess what? You know? <laughs> the number of people in the government that know is a very large number. The number of people in politics that know is a large number. The number of people in the academic community is a large number. And they stay silent. They keep it to themselves. They keep it within their workplace. Why? because the issue has been delegitimized. It has been ghettoized. It has been undermined by the government for national security policy. There are penalties for speaking incorrectly about this. There are penalties for coming forward, just as, it, just as if you were talking about penalties for dumping classified documents into a gamer room. That boy is going to jail for anywhere from 15 to 40 years. And so consequently, because it's embargo doesn't mean people do not know. And so if the government is already known, if the government has crash vehicles and technology in its deepest laboratories they've been working on, just like in the movie Independence Day, for decades, then what the hell is happening? What is happening is that the US government and the politicians came to realize that the truth embargoes days were numbered. And one of the and, and, and one of the some of the things that have helped cement that idea in their brain were this. The what was the first browser? The one that got the early browser, the one before Google. Netscape? Not Netscape, even before that, the very first one that came out. It was called something. Oh, uh, the name escapes me, but one of your one of your listeners is viewers is going to put it right up there in my screen in a second. AOL. <laughs> <laughs> you had the early browser, then you had Google, then you had Facebook, then you had Twitter, right? You had websites, and then you had, my God, podcasts, okay? Live netcasts. You had the development of a global communications infrastructure that allowed an interested person in Michigan to go on a website in China and have it translated by Google so they could see what somebody in China was thinking about this issue or Afghanistan or Zimbabwe or France or England or Germany or anywhere else. That neurosphere that Thierry de Chardin talked about all the way back in the 60s was literally forming, literally has been all this time. And so the issue, which is the most interesting and best known issue in the world, was getting, was merged in it saturating it right not to mention the fact that mics are getting better cameras are getting better cell phones were now in the billions all right and so you're going to try to continue to maintain a truth embargo on something that's in the sky all the damn time with all of this tech now in the hands of billions of people no it was over and so in 2017 a group of individuals who all worked in the military intelligence complex their entire careers made a decision to come forward publicly as private citizens and engage the issue and shake the trees. That happened in 2017. It led to the uh, New York Times article and the, and the three gun camera footages. 
And I don't really care what those gun camera footages were of, right? That hasn't been established. I don't care to what flaws that people have found in them. Those gun camera footages were acknowledged as being released by the Department of Defense. They weren't home videos of the Secretary of Defense. They were gun camera captures from our F-18s. And so by doing that alone, it didn't matter what they were. They triggered the New York Times article and basically punctured the balloon that has been the truth embargo building for decades and decades. And when you pop a balloon, what happens? All the air comes out at once. And so since 2017, what has happened is that the rest of society and the government and so forth has been maneuvering to end the truth embargo. Now, one might say, why don't you just rip the Band-Aid off? Why don't you just, the president just comes out and says, hey, sorry, we've been lying about this all these years, you know, you know how we are, we lie, we start wars, we do stuff, it's just how we roll. So forgive us, and uh, we hope to tell you more soon. The political ramifications and damage that would do is incalculable, and, and, and nobody's going to sign off, right? Okay, it's just, it's just, you just don't do that. There are ways to do things, all right? All right? And so the way the truth embargo has to end is that all of the proper entities and people, departments and agencies and services need to be involved in a orderly, appropriate process that leads to the president making the confirmation. In other words, they have to do all of the stuff they could have done in 1946-47. They had the opportunity. The press release was out. It was being published around the country. Reporters are on their way to Roswell. They interview every living person in that town, including the dogs and the cats. It would have been done right then. And they would have had to start the whole thing and go, whoa, whoa, whoa. But, and, and uh, well, okay, let's have a press conference and, and, and what's going on. And, you know, you, would you like to see the dead aliens? Whatever. They could have done it then. They chose not to. They fished, they fished around with it for a while. And then in 1952, they had another chance to do it when you had the mass sightings over Washington, D.C., which scared the hell out of everybody. Right. And gave them a chance to go, well, look, what can we say? Uh, this is really a big deal and let's deal with it. And they could, they could start the process then. They chose not to do it. The Cold War locked everything in place. And in 1991, when the Cold War essentially was, quote, over and the Soviet Union was gone, that was the next chance they had, the third chance they had to do all of this and end it. They chose not to. Well, this is the fourth time and this is it. And so they're doing now what they should have done then. And what is it that they're doing? They're doing what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to uh, make appropriate statements from the DOD. Politicians are supposed to make the appropriate statements to show the appropriate interest, to pass the appropriate legislation, to set up the appropriate entities at the DOD, primarily where it's going to be, right, and fund them and get them going. And then that entity is supposed to set up a cross-agency working group, and they're supposed to start organizing and showing that they're doing the right thing and paying attention to this legitimate issue. And then witnesses need to be called in who have something to say about this issue uh, to testify in front of important committees in front of the world, all right? 
and the media gets a chance to cover all this, and it is thousands of articles, so it's doing the job it should have done all those years, because in addition to the academic community, which laid down on this issue for 70 years, the media laid down on this issue. They covered it. Tens of thousands of articles are written about it, but they didn't investigate it. They understood, either because they were told specifically or they figured it out on their own. Write all the articles you want, but don't come hanging around our back door. Don't try to get inside sources in the Pentagon. Don't go through our trash, or you'll never get another source contact in our entity again. And maybe worse things will happen to you. And so the media said, okay, okay, we have a certain you know, uh, obligation as journalists, but you know this is national security. We're going to stand down on it too. Well, now they're doing their thing. They're covering it extensively. And so all of this is a, it's not a charade. It is more like a ritual. They have to go through all this to do the right thing so that the president can make the confirmation announcement and all hell won't break loose and everybody won't go nuts. But more importantly, mm. so they'll look better. In other words, the government, the White House, the Congress, the Department of Defense, the Air Force, the Navy, the CIA, all of them would like to look better when this happens. They want to be appreciated more. They would not like to be trolled too much. They don't want a lot of hate mail. They want to be seen as uh, you know, part of the solution. And they understand that Americans have a short memory. Millennials don't even know where Roswell is. And so if they go through this process, everybody will applaud. Oh, unbelievable. Oh, wow. Un tell us more. What? Oh, we're happy to tell you. We want more hearings. Absolutely. All right. And those of us that know better, those of us that know that this is actually something they should have done 70 years ago, that they have been embargoing it all this time, will raise our hand and go, well, you do know that you've known about this. And at some point, and it won't take long, they will acknowledge that too. But you see, at that point, who cares? You know, yeah, you lied. Yeah, you did this. Yeah, you did that. I wasn't even born then. We just learned there's ETs here. I want to know more. I'm excited about the future. And so you, you hard-ass guys that have been in the field all these years, just go away. You know, just let us, let's move forward together in the future. That is what is going. It is a public relations driven extrication project in which they are lying their way out from under a far bigger lie. Now, some people would say, well, Steve, you're spilling the beans here. I mean, you're, you're outing them. I mean, that's going to ruin it, isn't it? I mean, people are going to know, oh, man, you mean this is that you're actually just going through the motions there that you've always known. And I'm going, it's OK. It's all right. It's not going to stop it. It's not going to change it. I'm not going. I'm not interfering with this this project or the, the game they're playing or the world they're playing. What I'm doing is this. I want people who have been lied to their entire life on this issue to at least understand the truth of the process that's ending that lie. Because one, it's the right thing to do. Two. For those that are, it'll, it'll help mitigate their anger and frustration because a lot of them are angry and frustration, frustrated. They, they hear something, are you kidding me? 
Did you just say what you said? I knew that 45 years ago. Can't you read a book, right? And so, and, and plus they don't trust the government to begin with. And so, so it, it's all, it's all, everything in this country is being ground down and undermined by massive distrust that's built up in this country for decades, not just on the UAP issue. And so I'm saying, look, the truth of it is this, they're just going through the motions to do the right thing. They've always known, let them, okay? This is what's gonna get us disclosure. And once we get disclosure, that's when we start finding out the rest of the story. That's when that we really engage the issue. That's when the tech might become available. That's when all the good stuff will happen. Until disclosure, no. And so relax, chill, support it. Call up a text or a Twitter, any member of Congress who speaks to this thing properly. And there are a number now that have done that. Tweet, tweet, tweet them how wonderful they are. Tweet them all the praise you can you can heap on them. Call up if you need to. Send a letter. I don't care. Praise the process, right? Because it's going to get the job done. That's what's going on now. And that is not easy for some people to get. But that's why I do what I do. That's why I'm here. So a question was brought up earlier by Rodrigo, and it's one of the questions I had, too. Um so my understanding is, is that you are in the, um, what I want to say, the realm of, of understanding that the U.S. government is in possession of some type of crashed or recovered alien equipment. Is yeah. that correct? So kind of with the Bob Lazar type of thing where he was somebody who was working on that. Are, Bob, Bob Lazar is somebody who has talked to this issue. Okay. Just because I am quite convinced that we have ET technology in crash vehicles doesn't mean that I assign my or sign on to every accounting of that. Right. All right. right. It simply means that there is evidence uh, that is sufficient uh, to confirm to me that we have that technology. It comes from many sources. Okay. Right? Uh, and and it's public. The information is public. You can just go find it. You don't you don't have to have you know be meeting somebody in a garage in Roslyn, Virginia to find this out. So we have that tech. And one of the most significant things about the disclosure process is that we have to find out for sure, one way or another, what advantages that tech could provide to the human race in dealing with its overwhelming set of pro problems that it now faces. I mean, we are overwhelmed by our problems now. The, the, the days of just get it done, or we can do anything, and this country can solve every problem. Those days are over. Now we as a civilization and as a country are facing what clearly seem to be insurmountable problems. So overwhelming, people are just crawling up uh, into a dark space and getting in a fetal position. That's how bad things are getting. And so extraterrestrial technology, yeah, I want to know what they've got. I want to know how we can use it for something other than just making even bigger weapons, which is another insurmountable problem we're facing. So yeah, tech is a pretty big deal. And it's part of the reason why disclosure needs to happen. So speaking of working in DC and your political action within the group, I know there's like, um, uh, what was it? Tim Burchette, who's gone on a lot and talked about this, um, you know, this topic and everything. 
who else have you worked with closely in in the higher up echelon of representatives, congressmen, senators? Um, and I guess what was your thought when you first went there and started talking to these people? Were they in the know? Were some of them in the know? Were some of them blowing you off? Did you get the feel that they knew stuff they just weren't going to work with you or talk to you? And what was your what was your initial kind of indoctrination into this by those people in D.C.? Uh, let me uh, clarify. I understand what you're saying. Early on, we're talking 1996-97, I learned very quickly that talking to anybody in Congress was hopeless. Okay? I had meetings, but not going anywhere. Okay, fine. I'm still a registered lobbyist to this day because it is a flag that needs to be waved, okay? There's a registered lobbyist. Now there are a number of them, by the way. A number of people have now registered lobbyists, including some paid entities. Uh, uh, great, but back then, absolutely hopeless. And so what I ended up doing was saying, I'm gonna lobby the media. If the Congress won't listen to you, you lobby the media. You get stuff in the newspapers and then the members of Congress read it. And so I have probably done more lobbying of the media on this issue than any living person. Uh, on my website, paradigmresearchgroup.org, uh, you can see an example of this in that under the resources sec section or resources menu, you find print media archive, paradigmresearchgroup.org, resources, print media archive. You go to the print media archive, I think I'm up to 13,000 articles that are linked there. If you want to, you could read all 13,000. Now, admittedly, many of the links are dead. But many of those, I actually have copies on my server. I just have to have the time to go in and swap them out. It's tedious. But say there's 10,000 links. Go read them all. That is only a fraction of the number of articles that have been written on the subject since 1946. I, I don't even know what the number is. I'm going to guess it's in the 30 to 40,000 range. But in order to, quote, connect to those articles, you literally have got to go to newspaper offices and get into microfiche right, microfiche, and, and get copies of the microfiche or whatever, and then digitize them and put them up on the web. So, I mean, but we're talking huge numbers of articles. But again, just articles, no investigative work, just they covered the phenomena, which has been going on all these years. But starting in 2006, I started making an archive of articles that could be linked to. Some of them are, are backdated. Yes, some of them go way back because they, they have turned up. But still, 13,000, all right? I have talked with countless numbers of reporters. I have pressured them and bullied them and pushed them to get, get this subject, to, to address this subject. Uh, during the campaign of, for the presidency in 2015-16, working with my publicist, who is a legend in Washington, D.C., we got that ball rolling, and by the time that election took place, 400 articles had been written in mainstream media about the connection between one of the candidates, in this case it would have been Senator Hillary Clinton, 
and her campaign chairman, Podesta, and her husband, President Clinton, their connection to the ET issue. 400 articles. Now, the result of that was that Senator Clinton, President Clinton, and John Podesta had to actually go in front of uh, some reporters and talk show hosts on 12 occasions and answer questions about this. It was all arranged, right? They weren't going to expose themselves to, to Morley Safer or, or, uh, or one of the top news people, but just, just to show that they, that they were aware that these articles were being written. That has been what I have done, right? Get the issue out, get it in play in every way possible. But going on the Hill was a waste of time. Now, okay. as it happens, in the last few years, that has changed. But I have been off that field uh, for two reasons. One, first, the pandemic, and secondly, for the last two years, I've been working on a significant media project related to this issue in Los Angeles. And so my colleagues are on the Hill talking to these people. I know them. <laughs> yeah, they're all over. Do I wish I was there? Yeah, I wish I was there. I really wish I was. And it bothers me that I'm not. But you can't do everything. And I don't have the funding to play, go buy post coastal. If I came into $20,000, $30,000 right now, I'd be set up with, a, with another office in D.C., and I'd be out there right now working both coasts, but I can't do that. And so I'm focused in Los Angeles. Now, having said that, I'm following things very closely. And so now you have these members of Congress who deserve your praise and tweets, letters and emails, whatever the hell you can send them, telling them how wonder they were. Telling some member of Congress that what an ass they are because they don't talk about this issue or they say something stupid accomplishes nothing, right? But telling somebody in Congress how wonderful they are accomplishes a lot, all right? It is a hundred times more effective. And so you have Marco Rubio, Republican. You have Mark Warner, Democrat. You have Senator Kirsten Gillibrand, Democrat. You have Congressman Andre Carson, Democrat. You have Congressman Mike Gallagher, Democrat. You have Congressman Tim Burchett, Republican. All right. You have Ruben Gallego, House, Democrat. These are the ones that are known to have been straight out with the press about this issue. I may have left a couple others out, but their comments might have been very short, brief, and not much. We have hundreds of members of Congress, not hundreds, a very large number of members of Congress have been briefed, classified, given classified briefings on this in the last three or four years. Absolutely. And so the issue was all over the hill. Just because you weren't briefed doesn't mean you're not learning about it because you have lunch with somebody in the, in the congressional uh, you know, cafeteria and they're letting you know stuff. And so the issue has been that the, the Capitol Hill is marionating in this issue slowly, but I assure you it's not going away. And you've got people on there giving interviews. You've got people doing uh, uh, filming that's turning up in documentaries and so forth. None of that is going away. More members are going to come forward very soon. And I want to, I want to emphasize that all of this is happening 
going back to 2017, but really getting underway in 2020, during the worst pandemic since 1917, which if it wasn't for the technology and the biotech that we have and the other resources we have, could have easily killed a couple of hundred million people, which would make it the worst pandemic in all of human history. We've gone through that. We've gone through some of the most bizarre, disruptive politics in the history of the American Republic, right? And yet this issue has continued to advance in spite of that. So to answer your questions, you need to uh, talk to some other people about what it's like interviewing Tim Burchett and, and, and all of those. I intend to get there in time. I hope that when I do, I may have some questions to ask that may be useful. I'm really more looking forward to, to, to being in a consulting uh, situation. In other words, any member of Congress that would like to, to talk about the issue privately, just confidentially, to get some perspective on it from the outside, to decide how to engage it and what to do, I would love to talk with them. Happy to help and happy to keep it confidential. In other words, we're past lobbying like, hey, uh, look, here's the deal. You got to get on this, right? You got to get on this. Now, I don't have any money or anything. We can't put anything in your packs or so forth. But look, it's an important issue. And you really need to do something about it. Now, we're, we're past that now. They're already on the way. They're already trying to decide what to do. They don't need to be lobbied on that. What they need is advice and consultation. Perhaps if I can get the funding and perhaps if things go well here in Los Angeles, uh, I'll be able to play that role as well uh, back in D.C., I do have a huge number of reporters in my Rolodex. I'm hoping some of them will start calling me. Uh, I will be approaching them soon along certain lines, but that's kind of the role that I have played. I know a lot of people think that I've been crawling around the hill all these years. No, no, I haven't been. Uh, there, were, I, there, were, there were times years back when I, I went through the entire House and Senate. In other words, I walked through the entire House and Senate halls delivering a book on this subject right? Or a DVD. Back when you could do that, you can't do that now. But back then you just got a big basket of DVDs and you just walked in, you got, went through security and you went down the halls and you handed one to every single uh, receptionist at every single member of Congress, 535. I did that a number of times. Those were the days. Well, those days are over, right? But at, so that's, that's my history here. And I, I'm glad I have a chance to clear that up. Uh, um, I have done, I have, I am a political activist who is registered as a lobbyist, but I am foremost a political activist. And that means doing anything and everything that advances us towards the goal of the activism, the prize. And one of my biggest contributions was defining that goal, which really was not defined properly when I entered in 96 and still wasn't defined by the aughts. And that is this, what is the goal of all this? To have the ETs come and say hello? To sit down to dinner with them? What, what, what is the goal here? The goal has always been, since 1946, formal confirmation by the heads of state of nations of their presence. Disclosure, capital D. That is the goal, right? The fundamental goal of the activist movement. It may not be the goal of the scientists. They want to know this, they want to know that. But from the standpoint of humanity, 
and society, the goal is we must have confirmation by our heads of state so that all the doors will open so that the whole human race can engage this in every way possible. That's the goal. That is what we're see seeking. And that what is what should happen this year. Wow, that was a lot. <laughs> well said. That's awesome. That, well said, sir. Much appreciated on that answer. Um, so what is, if you could pick one, what is your biggest or top number one piece of evidence that convinced you that the U.S. has got some of this tech, maybe other countries do, whatever, but that convinced you of this. Was it 2017 or was there something else before that that really you said, this is the evidence. The U.S. has some of this stuff from 47 or recovered from somewhere and it's not ours. Here's the way it works. Now, the truth embargo twists this. The, the government twists this and, and, and says it needs to be this or it needs to be that. But that's all nonsense. That's the way it works. You come to a decision about something based upon the cumulative evidence, the totality of the evidence, to reach a state that we call beyond a reasonable doubt. That's how it works in the general affairs of human beings. And one of those affairs are the matter of justice and trials and things like that. So you have trial, evidence is, uh, is brought forward for and against the plaintiff, right? And the jury hears it all, goes into session and decides whether to uh, uh, come back with guilty or innocent. It's a pretty strict test. Beyond a reasonable doubt and unanimous. That's pretty good. Is that the same level of scientific confirmation? No, it's not. Scientific confirmation is even more stringent than that. But you cannot operate a society in, in the standard affairs of humans that way. That's impossible. So People listen to the evidence and they come to a conclusion beyond a reasonable doubt. And the one thing that I think most people understand is there is no such thing as a smoking gun, period. It doesn't exist. It's an illusion, right? There is no piece of evidence that can be presented that cannot be debunked. And if those that have watched trials know this, I mean, we've seen plenty of trials in fiction, though they tend to be overly done and, 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 and way compressed in time. But we've also seen real trials. We've seen a lot of real trials in TV. And what you discover very quickly is there is no witness who can't be undermined. There's no piece of evidence that can't be given an alternative explanation on and on and on and on. There is no such thing as a smoking gun. But the cumulative effect of 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 pieces of evidence which corroborates can take somebody to the state of beyond a reasonable doubt, in which case the person is convicted. 
In the scientific community, it's much tougher. In order to establish a fact, a fundamental truth in science, it has to be tested and retested, uh, oftentimes with different types of tests and by different groups of scientists until it reaches a point where there is essentially certainty in the mind of those who have the greatest knowledge about the subject and it becomes a law. And then after it becomes a law of physics, it has to continue to hold up against all evidence that comes forward after that. All tests, new approaches, new information, it has to hold up and hold up and hold up and it remains a law. That is the way science works. And it has to work that way. Because if science worked on just the level of say, justice system, beyond a reasonable doubt of, of 12 people on a juror, there's no way we'd ever make it to the moon. The thing would blow up before it even got off the launch pad. And there's no way we'd ever do the kinds of science that have led to the, the telecommunications and the computers that we have now. Uh, uh Science has to be absolutely accurate to a point where so accurate that beyond a certain point, it doesn't matter that it might have a flaw. It absolutely works in every case, which is what you have with Newtonian mechanics versus quantum mechanics, right? And so it's about the ET issue. It's really simple. I'm convinced that we have ET technology in our possession because the accumulation of evidence from multiple sources over decades has corroborated that, all right? And so I'm convinced beyond a reasonable doubt. And we say, well, 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 give me an example. Well, well, this person said this at such a time. Well, I, I, what do you know about that person, right? Uh, have you investigated their life in the greatest detail? Have you put out, invest have the FBI investigated them? What have you done there? Edgar Mitchell said that Roswell was a, was an, a, 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 was a, was a, a ET craft. It crashed there. Yeah, but what do you know about Edgar Mitchell? Well, yeah, he, he was an astronaut. Ah, so what? He had a PhD in physics. <laughs> so what? There are PhDs in physics that are lunatics. He, he, he walked on the moon. Oh, I don't know. I read on the internet that the moon landings never took place. And on and on. You get my point here? Yeah. It's, it's just like the criticisms of like David Fravor and his wingman about the Tic Tac object. You know, he, this guy's a top gun instructor and he knows what he's seeing. And he's no, he knows what he's observing and reporting. And I don't think he would go out there and put himself on the line in the, in the public the way that he did without telling the truth about what he was seeing. But keep in mind, that is one witness's testifying sure. one instance. That's all that it is. It is the totality of the evidence. And the government's, mm -hmm. one of the government's tasks in, in maintaining the truth embargo is don't allow this evidence to be amalgamated. In other words, the last thing the government ever wanted and is about to have, willingly, as for a whole lot of high-level David Bravers to sit down at a hearing table in front of a Senate committee under oath with millions of people watching and one after another telling extraordinary evidence and providing extraordinary evidence in that setting. That is how you reach beyond a reasonable doubt. And that is why efforts for decades to get a congressional hearing were completely blocked. We but isn't this, 
isn't this what you did when you organized the citizens hearing on disclosure in 2013? I mean, it wasn't that in was, front of Congress, but it was a mock congressional hearing. Yeah. And the whole the whole re, the, the purpose of it was to 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 give gravitas to the issue, to give a whole bunch of witnesses a chance to testify under oath, mock oath, it wasn't legal, and to do it two blocks from the White House, the citizen hearing on disclosure, which cost $700,000, was conducted two blocks from the White House and 10 blocks from the Capitol building, 12 blocks from the Capitol building. It was then to show Washington and the people on the Hill, this is what it would look like. This is how it would go. And it went very, very well. It was a mock congressional hearing, but that was 2013. We're going to finally get those hearings 10 years later. That's how hard this is, right? And a number of the people that are going to testify in front of Congress this year testified at the mock congressional hearing, the citizen hearing on disclosure in 2013. But a number of them are not because they are dead. You see, that's how governments often succeed. Yeah, outlive your opponents. You outlive the activists. You outlive the scientists. In America, that is the preferred way. In other countries, it's really easy. You just murder them, poison yeah. them, shoot them, make them disappear, throw them out windows on the tenth floor of their apartment buildings. Whatever. We don't do that, but we're better than that. This truth embargo. It's persistence. It's just one more black mark on Americans' history. We already have enough of those. We don't need any more. We'll get some more, I'm sure. But this is a particularly nasty one. You see, when we, when we misrepresented the situation in Southeast Asia in a number of ways for a good while and sent hundreds of thousands of our young men there to die, 55,000 didn't come back, that was a black mark. And then the war ended and we moved on. The Vietnamese forgave us. And now it's a rather popular tourist attraction. And they went communist and yet the world did not end. And when we misrepresented the situation in the Middle East and sent hundreds of thousands over time of our young men to die there, that was another black mark on American history. And unfortunately, this one kind of continues, right? Um, and there's a lot of little black marks embedded in the bigger black mark. I mean, it's just generally not good. But overall, the wars are over and we move on, right? The truth embargo is different. The truth embargo is a lie, preventing the entire human race from knowing that it is not alone in this universe. And not having that extraordinary piece of information plugged into their worldview, which it could have been in 1946 or 52 or 91, so that as the human race decides 
how many wep more weapons of mass destruction it's going to build, how many wars it's going to start, how much more it's going to savage the environment, and every other manner of bad behavior it's going to conduct, that piece of information is absent from the equation. The suppressed technology is a whole other issue. God knows what we've lost out there, depending upon how much we, we learned and to what degree we engineered it. And so essentially, the truth embargo is not a short-term lie that resulted in a bad outcome that finally ended not too many years later. It is a 76-year lie that had to be maintained every single day. And worse, it, it is a lie about something that is self-evident to anybody that's paying attention. It is a lie in the face of the human race's common sense. It is don't believe your lying eyes. And in other words, it has been a consistent diminishment of trust in authority in every nation, some of which needed it more than others, for 75 years. And I have made the case and will make it again that a significant component of the breakdown in trust of the American people and our fine constitutional republic, a very significant percentage of that goes to this truth embargo, which has been an obvious ongoing lie for an entire lifetime. And people say, well, so what? So what? Just look at the landscape. Look at our politics. Look at the country. Look at it all and see how much destruction the failure of trust in government is doing. It is completely shredding this republic. It is undermining it to the point that reporters cannot go 15 minutes without saying, you know, we're looking at the death of our democracy, the end of our democracy. Democracy can't survive this and on and on and on, not to mention just the awful shit that's happening. Trust in government is essential to society functioning. If you don't have it, you must have an autocratic state. In other words, if you do not have a society that trusts the government, then you have got to threaten them, go hold them, you've got to screen them, you've got to kill them, murder them, suppress them, make them disappear. You have to do whatever you can because they don't trust you. And unless you run with a rule with an iron fist, you cannot rule. In a democracy, that is not the way it works. Trust in government is essential to making it work. And if you don't have the trust in government, unless you're prepared to use that iron fist, all you get is chaos, madness, nutsness. You get high suicide rates. You get high addictions to everything as people try to deal with the cognitive dissonance and the stress of a republic that is falling apart under the weight of its own lies. That is part of the reason why the truth embargo is worse than the lies in Vietnam, worse than the lies in, in Iraq and the Middle East and other lies that we have done in other black marks. History will see it as probably one of the most egregious things that governments ever did. And governments have done some pretty egregious stuff because of the scope of it, the length of it, and the implications of it. 75 years, we could have known there was an ET presence. And we were told, no, there wasn't. And we were prevented from acting on that information, except within the deep state, uh, 
I hate that phrase, within the deep underground facilities of our national security structures behind massively classified uh, systems, uh, same with the other countries. Other than that, no, the rest of us, all eight, mostly eight billion people was like, hey, what can you do? So sorry, right? Leave us alone. It's national security. We've got this, all right? I think history is going to be extremely unkind uh, in general. And it's in terms of the institutions that failed us, the journalists, the politicians, they're going to be extremely unkind. Well, if people, people whose place of history is not something they want to be reading down the line in Wikipedia. Yeah, I mean, a good example of this is here in Michigan in 1966 when we had Project Blue Book here. And if you want to see how these lies can can just shut down a conversation and just create huge distrust in a government organization. I mean, 1966, when Heineck went in front of everybody after about three, four weeks of massive UFO sightings and Selfridge Air National Guard sending fighters to intercept these UFOs, then turns around and tells everybody it was nothing but swamp gas. That uh, instantly. Let me, let, me stop you there. let me stop you there. Sure. I actually am working with Paul Heineck. I know him. Oh, know he's the, he's. I know the history there. Okay. Yeah. What his father did, he didn't come out and say it was nothing but swamp gas. He was being interviewed, and he was asked to try to discuss this. What are we going on? And he mentioned, just mentioned, that swamp gas is something that could possibly be confused with this among other things. Uh, it was something I think he regretted, but it wasn't uh, done with, I think, malintent at all, as, as we know because of the actions that he took afterwards and, 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 and all that he did after that. Uh, but because of the truth embargo and the government's outrageous policy on this, it was something that the press could seize on and the public could seize on, and they did. It was an example of a pushback, a substantial pushback against the embargo as early as 66. And Dr. Alan Hynek, unfortunately, was at the nexus of that, right? Because he was set up by the goddamn Air Force. Yeah, okay? that's that's where I was going to go with that. Up by the Air Force, just one yeah. more victim, like Dr. John Mack, who is uh, who Harvard University praise be upon it tried to cashier because they had the audacity to look into the contact issue. So yeah. Harvard's got a black mark there. It's going to answer for it one day. And if I'm still alive after the disclosure, by God, I'm going to see to it. They do answer for it. But Dr. Heineck was set up by the government, which he atoned for a thousand times over. Yes. He did later. But, but that spiral out of control is an example, or that spiral of distrust is an example of what you were just talking about with the, the distrust in believing the government because of the lie they want to keep alive. Of course, but let, let's actually remember this though. That event in general motivated a one of our really great fine politicians, one of the few truly righteous men that have been in government. I mean, you can crawl Capitol Hill for weeks and not come across a righteous person in government, though they're there, but my God, a lot of them are just hiding out now because the amount of crap, the amount of evil shit that's up on that hill right now, it's almost like you got to stay out of the halls for fear you might run into somebody and they'll knife you in the back. 
talking about Gerald Ford. Gerald Ford was impressed enough with that sighting that he went uh, to various uh, people on the Hill and said, we need to have a hearing on this. And as a result, the 1966 hearing was held. It only lasted a day or a half a day. There was a limited amount of testimony, but at least it was held, okay? And so the Pentagon and the Air Force were watching that going, oh, crap. Now we're having <laughs> a hearing. Oh, this is not good. We may end up having more hearings. We've got to do something about this. And so they got together in their little dark rooms and they came up with a plan. In 67 and 68, and then in 69, they wrapped it all up. We're not going to have any more of that kind of stuff going on. So they held a, a what amounted to a, a show hearing in 68, just another half day to let people know, oh, no, no, we care. One of the outcomes of that was James McDonald, uh, Dr. James McDonald, one of the really righteous scientists of our time, who was under in, in very stressful situation already because of family matters. He was embarrassed in front of the entire committee. They made a fool of him. And that was more than he could take. So he went home and shot himself twice. <laughs> and then, Just all to right. Make sure he got the job done. Yeah, yeah, job done. He's out of the way. No more him. And then, uh, 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 then they, they they commissioned the Condon report out of Colorado. Condon will go down in history is is an absolute disgrace to to science. I would hope his relatives have all changed their name by now. <laughs> He went in knowing that the thing was was real and knowing that the outcome had to be it wasn't, put together the Condon report. They then used that report to shut down Project Blue Book in 69. 66 to 69. Took about three years to get it all together. Got that done. One more thing to do. Yeah, that little pesky NICAP. National Investigation Committee on Aero Phenomena NICAP, which Heineck, okay, Help create, right? All right, and serve. Had to get rid of that. Well, NICAP, which was run by Keo by '69, not Keo. Yes, yes, Keo. Um, it was so successful, and had so many thousands of members. So and, and these were scientists. It had so many scientist members, high-level people, because this was a serious entity in NICAP. This was early now. You're talking about that period from 62 to 69, early on. It's it's uh, the, the truth embargo was still learning its way, getting its chops, as it were. All right. And so uh, these people had joined up early. It actually had members of the CIA on the board of directors. And so when it came time to close it down, it was real simple. The board threw Keo out, right? Claimed financial improprieties, shut down all the field offices, used the money they had to feather their own pockets and closed it down. Right? I think it was kind of lingered on to like 72. It was ultimately replaced by MUFON 69, right? Around the same time. I mean, prior, as it was closing down and being wrapped up and everybody knew it was being rolled up, MUFON forms. The history there is interesting, but MUFON is still here. In fact, MUFON's up on the hill right now doing lobbying. That's what happened back then. 
all right? So just to give people a picture that there's a lot of dirty laundry here, but let me be clear. Donald Keough, major hero, should get the Medal of Freedom. Alan Hynek, major hero, should get the Medal of Freedom. Gerald Ford, I think, got the Medal of Freedom, but whatever, he, one of the things he should be remembered for is the fact that he stood up on this issue when the entire array of his gutless associates in Congress just sat there, you know, staring at the wall going, I, I am not touching this. I, 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 of course, they're, they're even more gutless now than they used to be. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. Well, before I let you go here and we wrap this up, you are speaking at the, as we heard uh, uh, Mr. Nori talk during, uh, while you were not here yet, I played the commercial for Contact in the Desert 2023, and you're going right. to be speaking there. Can you uh, let people know a little bit about what your presentation is going to be on and uh, sure. kind of lead us into that a little bit? First of all, Contact in the Desert, prior to the pandemic, was the premier conference in uh in the country on this issue on this issue right where, where the focus was virtually primarily on this issue and related subjects uh it was quite extraordinary and uh the pandemic obviously it, it took some serious hits as did everything else all right uh but it's back and i think it's going to be the conference this year and it's going to continue to be the premier conference in the country. It is at Indian Wells Resorts, uh, Renaissance Indian Wells, which is southeast of Palm Springs. Um, so it's been a really, really nice resort. That's all I can say. <laughs> uh, and and it in other words, the issue is getting the, the kind of uh, context that it deserves. Um, I think there are 60 speakers at this point. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. So it's, it's a huge event. Uh, if you can come, you know, you want to be there. But more importantly, there is a very good chance that we will actually have had the, the, the hearings that I'm referring to will be underway by June the 2nd, which is when that, that conference begins. Now, if you can imagine the excitement that will be going on there, if some of the, the pilots and nuclear weapons tampering in, in, uh, 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 witnesses have actually been televised in front of a Senate committee here. Right, uh, which is going to electrify the country, and so that could very well happen. So uh, uh, I'm going to be, you know, what I'm be talking. I'm going to be talking about what I'm talking about here, right? Except <laughs> that I'm, going to, I'm going to be. I'll certainly be referring to the most recent developments and trying to put things in context in my lecture. Um, I'm going to be, and I'm. My thinking is, I'm going to be pretty serious on this. I'm going to get pretty intense. Um, uh, I can go either way, but this time I'm going to get pretty intense. Uh, and, and then I'm going to do a workshop as well. Now the workshop is going to be nothing but Q and A. In other words, it's going to be asked me anything. I, I think a workshop should be, everybody gets to work. And so it'll be two hours and people that sign up for that, uh, will be talking to each other and I'll answer any questions and I'll be asking for thoughts from the people there and it'll be a back and forth, but two hours of of them and me uh, doing our thing. Not awesome. All right. Uh, so yeah, contact in the desert, Renaissance Resort, Indian Wells, doesn't get much better than that. Uh, and then I should also mention that 
I will be speaking in December at another event, which boy could be something else. Uh, oh. It is called the Ufology World Congress. I'm oh. not a fan of the term ufology, but I, it's okay. Ufology World Conference started by a group in Spain. Uh, originally started out way back in 18, I think, and they held it in Barcelona. They have now held a number of them, but they're around the world. In September, there's another one in, in Barcelona. All right. And they're getting high quality speakers from around the world. This is an international event. Wow. But the December event, and it's on my website, you can easily find it, is in Mexico City. Now, let me be clear. The level of interest in this phenomenon OVNI in Spanish is probably greater in Mexico than any other country in the world. And I'll extend that down to South America, Central America to some degree, certainly. Uh, and Mexico City has got 26 million people. I forget the number. It's a big number. Yeah. This could be an absolutely massive event. And the number and what could happen between and now and then, I cannot even imagine. All right. All I can say is the issue is going to be in a totally different place. And so go to my website, go to the conferences section, or just, just Google World Ufology Congress. I don't think the December stuff is up yet, but it will be up soon. Boy, I'm looking forward to that. I'm sure they'll have full consecutive transition with headphones without oh, yeah. uh, 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 whatever. This is an event people need to think about. Uh, it'll end the year. It will be in Mexico City and we could be in another place. We could even have disclosure by then, right? In which case, I, I don't, I, I can't even imagine what that conference You're gonna be like. very busy. Yeah, it, it's, it, 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 but believe me, we deserve to have some fun. We deserve yeah. to have conferences with 10,000 people, right? And NBC and CBS cameras roaming and up there and following it down, being blasted out to the rest of the world. We have earned that. We deserve yeah. that. And anybody thinks they're just going to show up at the last minute going, okay, we've got this now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We have we have a lot of prestige and a whole lot of background. And uh, I was the dean of this and the president of that. And uh, I haven't said anything prior to this, but I've got this now. They got another thing coming. The people that have carried this water are going to continue to carry this water after disclosure. They're not going to be forgotten. And one of the reasons why I'm working on this project in Los Angeles is to make sure that doesn't happen. That's all I can say right now. OK, I more to say on that in the near future. Well, I, I want to ask you, do you want to drop a couple of names about some of those people that are going to try to come in kind of late in the game and say, Hey, we got this, or I, I've got some ideas in my head of who those people might be, but you know, and it, you don't feel obliged that, you know, just to put anything out there, anybody on blast or anything like that. But, uh, I've just, I, I've no, I've been researching this. I'm new. My wife and I are new to this. Our UFO sighting was in 2018. It terrified the living hell out of us. I've sure. never seen anything like that with uh, my time in the military and my time as a pilot, general aviation pilot, growing up with my dad as a United Airlines pilot. I never saw a 300 foot 
black triangle hovering above a road before. Oh, you, with, got triangle. you got the triangle. Yeah, with All the right. body. The body was made. I couldn't see what the body was because the lights were so bright in the corner. It was hovering right over a major road and intersection of a highway. But the body looked like a heat mirage. I couldn't make anything out. We were that close. And then I heard a voice in my head, get away. You don't belong here. You should not be here. And I lost it. Well, the voice in the head. Yeah, the voice in the head. You didn't need that. Now, the triangle had a light on each uh, point. Was there three lights? Three lights on each point. They were so bright. And you couldn't see through it, right? You couldn't see through the main body, right? Couldn't see through the main body. It looked like a heat mirage. Like if you were looking over, and this was in March of 2018, so it was cold out. But if you look over blacktop on a hot summer day, that wavering heat effect on bending light is what the body of this thing looked like. So I couldn't get any detail. But one of the things I noticed was, and so did Michelle, and we made our report to MUFON, and we've interviewed people from MUFON on here about this as well, is that it maybe was, um, I, w- I would estimate if, if I was using my trained observer thing and fingers and all this stuff, it was maybe about 150, 200 feet away and about 150 feet above the ground. And those lights were so bright in those corners, even though the photons were reaching our eyes and it was that bright, it was not casting any light anywhere on the ground at all. And there were other cars going by that didn't even notice it. It was at two 30 in the morning. And I, I thought it was an airliner crashing. And Michelle's like, when did our military get something like that? She put the window down. There was no sound. And I was like, um, I don't know. I thought this thing was going to crash. And then the next thing I know is I hear this voice, get away. You don't belong here get away right, so what did you do when you heard that voice back up i i gunned it you went forward and flew under it, or drove under I, it no i got really we were on an on-ramp going and doing like a 270 degree turn to get on a, the expressway heading south and so i gunned it as fast as i could i mean i was driving a very heavy jeep you know so i wasn't going to go very fast but i the 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 response within me was, and I've jumped out of airplanes. I've repelled out of helicopters. I was in the infantry for God's sakes. I've never been that scared before in my life. And then I look across Michelle, she's watching it. And I look out the window of the driver or the passenger side. And the thing was facing us kind of like this. Okay. And then it does one of these things and starts moving parallel to us along the highway we lost sight of it for about three seconds when we were able to see that area again it was just gone okay you didn't actually see it leave but it was moving slowly you, it, you had the same this is this is what happened to art and ramona bell one of the reasons that art got committed to the the ufo issue uh and made it the focus of his his show uh and to his good credit, he did let the politics in on this subject. On this subject, he didn't, he didn't like politics, hated it, but he did allow, which is why I was able to do quite well shows. To his credit, one of those flew right over him. They were out camping, right? Now I don't yeah. think they got the message. You don't belong here. I don't think he got that, but but uh, uh, it flew right over. Now obviously, this has happened to a lot of people, and and uh, you know, it's, it's like people say, well. Oh, it's 
It's it's it's one of ours, which is possible. It's no, possible I don't buy it. Uh, I will never uh, buy that. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, if it's one of ours, then you're basically saying that our government has built anti-gravitic craft with incredibly advanced lights that are attached to them, moving, and then lets them move slowly over highways and scare the living hell out of out of American citizens. That's <laughs> right. what you're saying, right? That's what you're saying, and doing. Uh, and I'm, okay, or it could be extraterrestrials uh, in their craft doing what they want. And 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 uh, which, which seems more likely? More likely. Well, look, it could be both. But uh, uh, the Black Triangle experience is intense. I've talked to people who have had it. Uh, you're the first person that I've talked to that got a psychic message or a, a ESP message. You shouldn't be here, right? Um, which is interesting. All right. Very well, I can tell you something else that happened that that could be. I mean, I'm not saying causation and correlation, you know, that whole thing. But about uh, was it a couple months after that I started getting sick? Like th something wasn't wrong. I thought I was uh, starting to lose my mind a little bit. Like things I couldn't sleep. I was getting raised. I figured maybe I was just anxious because I was starting a new school year and, you know, getting ready for the ninth graders and, you know, getting ready to yeah. teach science and all that good stuff. And yeah. uh, I was unable to sleep. I couldn't eat. Within like two weeks, I had lost like 25 pounds. Um, everything was going really weird. I couldn't write on my board for the students at all. I didn't know what was going on. And then one day, all of this right here just turned white. I go to the doctors, they do blood tests, and that was a whole joke of a mess. I actually pulled up my own blood test to figure out what was going on. My thyroid had basically turned up to about 10,000. My thyroid stimulating hormone was zero because my thyroid was out of control. And they, they said I had Graves' disease, which is hyperthyroidism. And males don't get that. Usually we get hypothyroidism. And right. literally my kids during that, that time in 2018, when I went away and left, I had to go under treatment for two weeks before the medicine would calm my thyroid down. When I went back, they were like, what happened to your damn beard? It was dark. And now all your hair, everything is white. Okay. And Do you, do you get my email? Do you get my email? I updates? do not. I do okay. not, sir. Okay. Uh, I need you to text me after this, please. Uh, text me or email your address. I okay. want to get you on my list. Uh, this obviously, I uh, can't get everybody, but uh, I, I want to add you. And here's okay. why. All right. I just sent out a, a, a media release yesterday. And let me read it to you. All right. The title of the release is... Uh, if this has really, something to do with triangles, I'm going to be very upset. Uh, the really was wake up and connect the dots. Okay. And the reason that I put this out is because as I was just going through this and that and everything else, some things happened connecting up three dots for me, which are very important. And so I put this out. And the first, and it basically is three articles. 
One article uh, was published in on July the uh, April the seventh, twenty twenty two, and kind of went under my radar because you know I'm looking at so many of these. Absolutely. The second one was published on April the fourth of this year in the Liberation Times, and the the last one was 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 posted in the Washington Post uh, just a few days ago. All right. And so now, uh, hang on a second. Let me just uh, get this up here. Um, uh, let me bring this up. Uh, okay. And I want to go here. So the first article is entitled, this is, it's a Daily Mail, April 7th, 2022. Here's the, here is the lead or uh, here is the, the Daily Mail has long, what they call long headers. It's all right. Exclusive. Uh, the, the, they woke up burned or injured. Top brain expert and ex-CIA officer reveals hundreds of military servicemen suffered brain damage or symptoms of the mysterious, quote, Havana syndrome and even death after encountering UFOs. And it's all about a report that was, 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 uh, uh, created and run by Dr. Christopher Green. And when you read it, it's going to register with you in a big way. This is the first article that has that I'm aware of that has really connected damage to people who get close to UAPs in one, of one shape, form, or another. And it really caught my attention. And um, uh, I checked on green, I checked the report. This is just very, very real, all right? And so uh, I recommend this article. It is April 7th, Daily Mail. And uh, it is, uh, I will send you the link to it. Now, the second article is in the Liberation Times about the uh, fact that on early this, on Mar May, March 28th, Kirsten Gillibrand held a, uh, a a hearing in front of her subcommittee. She is the chairman of a subcommittee of the Senate Armed Services Committee. And uh, the subcommittee specializes in pot potential threats. And Moultrie and Secretary of Defense Austin actually sat to, to answer her questions. And she asked them both, uh, and one other of the, the people that were there connected to the, the, the DOD, uh, among other things, she asked them about the funding uh, regarding Arrow and why it wasn't getting the money in a, in a timely fashion, the All-Domain Anomalous Resolution Office, which, of course, I think most of your viewers know what that is. And both Moultrie and Austin responded to this, basically saying that, well, we're you know, it takes time to get these things set up. There's a process, but the funding is going to be put in place. That's never, ever, ever happened before. No Secretary of Defense has ever been asked about this issue in a committee, period. And he gave a appropriate response. And the third article was a, a, an absolute brilliant piece in the Washington Post about this young boy first uh, airman first class in the in, in the uh, uh, Connecticut National I mean Massachusetts National Guard that basically was putting all manner of high level 
national security classified material out to a gamer group that he was essentially the big cheese in. And the reason I put this out and labeled it wake up and connect the dots is that these three articles in a way sum up for me why the truth embargo is a dead lie walking. You have a major article a year ago, which is finally starting to show that people get close to ETs and UFO craft, UAP craft are getting damaged, military and civilian. Then you have an article that says that the Department of Defense, uh, the Secretary of Defense is being queried on this issue and giving you know, intelligent responses about the program that's being set up. And then you have another article that shows that this massive, ever-ending, classified world that we've created, it classifies everything, including how much toilet paper is used in the Pentagon. The endless stuff that we have created and all these systems simply cannot sustain itself. It is filled with holes. It is filled with leaks. You cannot keep this stuff secret, particularly when you classify as much as we do. It's all falling apart. And so a 21-year-old airman first class is dumping out the high, dumping the highest quality secrets into a gamer group online, and the Department of Defense doesn't even find out about it until a month after he starts doing it. And so anybody who thinks this truth embargo can continue is out of their goddamn mind. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I bring this to your attention because I think you'll find this uh, article. And, okay. Uh, How would I uh, go about... Um... Should I just go to your website and find your contact information there? Uh, well, uh, yeah, just um, email me. You have my email. Email me your email address. I'll send you a link directly to this. Uh, I do not have your email. I, uh, PRG got... at um, Look, I'll make this happen. Uh, but again, uh, if, if um, let's see. Uh, how, how does this work? If you go to uh, paradigmresearchgroup.org mm -hmm. and you go to uh, under about, you will see a link for the PRG updates. If you okay. click, click on that link, hang on a second, it takes you ultimately to the, uh, uh, let's see, um, where are that one? Where is it here? Uh, uh, why don't I have this? Email uh, email updates. Uh, under about, under paradigm uh, paradigmresearchgroup.org, you go to under under about, or about PRG, rather, and then you click on email updates. You go on through, right, to the main archive, and you will see a link uh, directly to this. Um, just a second. You can subscribe to PRG updates here, that one? You can subscribe at the website, yes. You can subscribe to okay. it. You can, but you don't have to subscribe to go through to the updates archive and you will see the link to the press release, the media release that is put out called Wake Up and Connect the Dots. Okay. Uh, so this article is intense. John Burroughs, whole life was disrupted because he came close to that craft at Anderson. And you've got, you've got other famous cases, but what we didn't know is that plenty of people in the military are getting effects by this. And the effects are similar to quote the Havana syndrome. Now, again, that's 
that is just a name now that is attached to the idea that you're getting significant right. impacts on the brain and so forth from what appears to be radiation, all right, of some kind or fashion. But this article is the first one that broadened it to uh, UAP. And then the study, of course, is available, green study. Uh, and so now things are getting really serious. Yeah. All right. And so guess what? If UAP inadvertently, without malintent, are harming the health of people all over the world, then it would be helpful if the governments of the world would inform the public of this, acknowledge their existence, and say, don't get close to these things. Okay. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, I know this sounds crazy, but actually <laughs> it's pretty common sense. And it's yeah. one of a thousand reasons why this embargo has got to end. And this year it can end. And I encourage people to commit themselves to that. Start sending all the praise they can to the legislature, legislators, legisl uh, uh, legislators in any, any country, wherever they are, saying, look, if you're doing something about this, you have my full support, that kind of thing. And give them, again, license to proceed. They, they want to get this done, I believe. But again, it's not easy. And they have to sort of follow some protocols, but uh, as long as we let them know it's the right thing, they will get this thing done and get it done this year. So let me get those links to you, uh, Wayne, and and thank you for your time. Yeah. Um, so just real quick, so you have my email address. It's mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. Very easy. mi.ufo.podcast. At gmail. At Gmail. Okay, well, you'll get the link uh, right away. Yeah, and I would like to stay in touch with you about specifically like this issue. And I know Gary Nolan has talked about studying the health effects of these things as well. So and that's something I'm very interested in. So, all right. So everybody out there, if you want to find more from um, Mr. Bassett, go to paradigmresearchgroup.org. And his website is phenomenal, tons of information. But I think with that, um, Stephen, I want to say thank you very much. And if you want to talk more about our experience that Michelle and I had, um, I would be more than happy to do that with you offline at some point. So, okay. all right. Thank, thank you. you very much, Stephen. And we will talk to you again, hopefully soon. Take care. Anytime. Anytime. All righty. Bye. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, who for him not showing up at first, this turned into uh, one hell of an interview. I don't know what to make of everything yet, but uh, I think I need dinner. I think that's part of the problem. And I think Michelle does too. She's starting to you know, chew my foot off here. So, all right, everybody, we're going to wrap this up and uh, man, crazy. I don't, I don't know. Crazy. That's all I can say. All right, everybody, we're out of here. So thank you very much. And remember, keep those eyes to that sky.